of the sky! Look! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Matt Spectro through the multiverse! Thanks for joining us for another exciting episode of Matt Spectro to the Multiverse. As always, I'm your host, Matt Spectro, lifetime comic fan, lifetime animation fan, lifetime superhero fan. And this is another episode of the podcast that talks comic books and talks animation. Thanks for joining us and welcome to episode 118. For anyone new to the show, I'm going to explain the rules, and then we're going to get right into our, we're going to get into the nuts and bolts, as they say. Three rules. Rule number one, we talk about comics, we talk about animation, we have a good time. Rule number two, I'm a huge fan of old team-up comic books. Brave and the Bold, DC Comics presents Marvel Team-Up, so this is a team-up podcast. Every week, me and a special guest talking comic book animation and, uh, Rule number three, probably most important, we got to have fun. Like I said, welcome to episode 118. I'm going to bring on my guest. He's been on before, and he's, uh, we're welcoming back to the multiverse, the host of Conversations with Robbie Sherman, the one and only Robbie Sherman. Howdy. Pleasure to be here. Robbie Sherman, everybody. It's a pleasure to be back on I, uh, to revisit the multiverse. Welcome back. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a little while, but that's your, cool. Your first appearance in 2024. Yeah, yeah, it's a brand new year. Oh, I forgot to mention in your intro, also uh, president of the uh, Elon Musk fan club. Oh, yeah, I love the guy. <laughs> you know, if I could, I'd go up to him and give him a big old slap on the back. <laughs> it's a real congratulatory pat on all the good things he's accomplished the past few years. You know, when, when before he took over Twitter, I was having like consistent numbers. And now I just really have to work for it. And it, it just feels good, you know, having to dig my hands in even more because of all time, his improvements. Uh, I didn't really have any complaints or anything new, but in the last three months, I swear I've gotten like 50 bots following <laughs> my. <laughs> oh, God. I had to block them all, but that doesn't stop them technically from following you, which is such a weird, strange thing. So there are bots following me, but I've blocked them, so I can't see them. And I, I guess they can't see me, but that doesn't technically mean they've unfollowed me. So uh, for this episode, you. we decided to talk to one and only the Marvel's first family, the one and only Fantastic Four. Yeah, yeah, good choice. I, I I like the Fantastic Four quite a bit. I though I think I'm really just getting into them through the comics over the last few years because the media portrayals are kind of up and down. Well, uh, before we're gonna get into the FF and the cartoon, I don't know if you remember, but uh, we always kick off the episode with a little bit of trivia. God damn it, I don't. I never remember. <laughs> You had some, you struggled a little bit last time, so uh, I modified your trivia a little bit this time. So I'm going to help you out here. I'm going to, if you can't get it, I, I've I've prepared a couple of hints. If you can't get the question, I, uh, it was really generous of you to mail me this dunce camp in advance. I didn't know what it was for <laughs> when I got it, but hey, you know now I understand. So thank you. What what should make you happy is that. Uh, <laughs> Hardly anyone. <laughs> I've had a lot of people who can't get the trivia right, so uh, you went, you're not alone. Well, yeah, that's the problem. We're a basically illiterate country. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here we go. What famous movie director expressed interest as far back as the early 90s in directing a Fantastic Four movie, even signed on in 1995? To direct a Fantastic Four movie that didn't actually ever happen. Uh, I feel like that's either a toss-up between James Cameron and Steven Spielberg. Am I in the ballpark there? Well, eh, 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 eh. Now, James Cameron was going to direct the Spider-Man movie. That was... Uh, oh, that, okay, that's that, right. That, that, so you're in the ballpark of uh, 90s and getting a famous director. Um, I have two hints for you. I'm going to give you one in time. This director shares... 
His name with a very famous explorer. Oh, um, okay. Um, oh, that's that's weird. Um, okay. uh, I don't know of any directors named Jack Hanna. So <laughs> that's probably not it. Yeah, I, I'm just going to put on the cap here and let you <laughs> tell me what the answer is. Uh, I'm going to give you one more. The very, the very first film he directed was Adventures in Babysitting. Are you talking about Chris... Uh, the director of the Harry Potter movie. I'm, I'm trying to remember his he name. He did direct two Harry Potter movies. You're, 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 you're getting there. You're getting there. Okay. Uh, yeah, I have this on the tip of my tongue. He directed Home Alone as well. Correct. I know you have this. I know you have it. Columbus. Yes. <laughs> yes. Good. Yes, he said comic books inspired him to be a director in early 90s. He had wanted to direct an FF movie. And in fact, in 1995, signed on to direct a film that never happened. I believe even his production company might have produced the live-action FF movie from the early 2000s. What, what was it about comic book movies that made it to where investors or whoever didn't want to fund him because there were so many like incredible, incredible talents trying to get comic book movies off of the ground in the eighties and nineties. Like, have you ever seen that pencil test Brad Bird did for the spirit? I've heard of it. I've never actually seen it. Oh God. It's so good. It's, it's one of the greatest like pencil tests I've ever seen in my life. And it tells enough of a story with just little character movements. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know why we can't just have nice things in this world. Like, it's so frustrating. In the 90s, supposedly Wesley Snipes tried to get a Black Panther movie off the ground. James Cameron supposedly was going to direct a Spider-Man movie. Christopher Columbus wanted to direct a Fantastic Four movie. Like, early, yeah, like, there was interest even going back to the early 90s, but. Man, thank God he got Blade though. That that's a that's a perfect choice for Blade. Like, I wish uh, he'd been more into it for three, but even then, three has a few moments. So we're gonna talk. There's a handful, maybe more, of the most important moments in the history of comic books. One of them has to be back in 1961 for the Fantastic Four issue one by the great Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. This was not only the beginning of uh, the Fantastic Four, but really the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics and a huge contributing factor in the, the revitalization of superheroes in the Silver Age. It's one of the first moments where you really see Jack Kirby come into his own as a creative force because the intergalactic panels and all the all the stuff of them floating in space is so evocative for its time it, it really left a huge impression on our entire generation of comic book creators now i mean it has so many historical values supposedly stan lee was ready to quit the comic industry at that point and uh his wife had encouraged him if you were going to do this to just do the comics you wanted to write because who cares if they don't work because you want to quit anyway yeah Hell yeah. Uh, supposedly the Justice League is the reason the FF ever happened because publisher Martin Goodman saw that the sales over at National Comics were doing well and wanted Marvel to do a team book as well. I'm glad they learned from that and didn't make Sue the receptionist. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, history was born. Uh, Fantastic Four, number one. Obviously, there's been lots of... Uh, Different theories on who contributed more. Uh, the only, uh, both Stanley and Jack Kirby have admitted that they couldn't have done it without the other one, but both of them, in numerous interviews I've read, have taken more credit than the other person. So I, <laughs> we'll just say that uh, <laughs> they did it together. Uh, sure, you can say that. <laughs> this is uh, issue one. Recently, I believe in 2022, auctioned off a copy of the number one for $1.5 million. Wow. Hmm. Uh, that's money. It's just going to sit there once it's gone. Uh, no one will ever touch you again. That's the whole problem with comic book collecting. Well, I saw a picture of the copy. It's, it's, uh, it's graded. It's like a 9.6. 
Yeah. I can't, can't imagine anyone's ever going to take it out of the sea. Uh, <laughs> crazy to imagine. Uh, it's just sitting there like, <laughs> like a bar of gold. Now, more some, than uh, a bar of gold. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, far more than a bar of gold. <laughs> so this obviously led to, you know, Spider-Man, the Avengers, Daredevil, Iron Man, the whole... And between this and... Um, and DC Comics, it really revitalized the superhero genre that we're still, to this day, still alive and well. Now, what was different about this and what some people have attested to the popularity was, number one, they didn't have secret identities. I don't know if they're the first, but they're one of the earliest to not actually have secret identities. Yeah, it did create a complexity for its time, I think. And then you... Unlike other comic books, you're actually seeing them dealing with the ramifications of not having secret identities. Like, they have apartment building troubles, which this cartoon preserves very well. They have troubles in the press, keeping their work and their public identities separate. It's It was fascinating stuff for its time. Uh, plus, it was, uh, I don't want to say realistic, because obviously you got a guy who can stretch one out, but it was set in New York city, not Gotham or Metropolis. So it was like more based in the real world. And I think that was another advantage Marvel had over DC. They, they kind of just base shit in the real world. So I think it felt immediate in a way DC didn't, where you have these made up cities like Metropolis and Gotham. And, uh, you know, the, the characters, Mr. Fantastic, Stan has said was inspired by uh, Plastic Man because Marvel didn't have a stretching uh, counterpart in their universe. Man, Plastic Man is an old character. Police Comics number one, I think, was 1940, I think. Did you you just say Police Comics? (laughs) Yeah, he made his first appearance in Police Comics number one. Propaganda, that's where Plastic Man originates from. That's hilarious. Well, believe it or not, the the publisher originally wanted Jack Cole to create another spirit. What we got was Plastic (laughs) (laughs) Man. That's such a misfire, but maybe one of the best misfires in history, so... We have um, the Invisible Girl, later on to be, much later down, be the Invisible Woman. Obviously, uh, influenced a little bit by the Invisible Man, but uh, Stanley also said that uh, he didn't want another, he didn't want a, a Marvel version of Wonder Woman. He didn't want a, a female superhero that relied on strength and punching things, so he wanted to come up with something different. So, we came up with the Invisible Woman. I gotta I got say one thing. Um... I think the Invisible Woman may be the most beautiful woman that Jack Kirby ever drew because something about his something about his female faces can look a little hatchard at times, but I notice he puts a lot of attention into making her look like very pretty and symmetrical as often as possible when I go through his comic books. He truly loved that character. <laughs> One thing I always stood out to me I liked about her was she was never except for the 90s was never sexualized superhero she was very much just like everyday woman modest a mother like not unattractive but she was never like hyper sexualized except for that stupid run in the 90s which uh, was kind of rare a lot of the times with female characters and every time like she's mad at Reed it's always justifiable like Reed is such a self-absorbed dick <laughs> Now, Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, they had wanted because uh, Stan was a big fan of the original Human Torch, and for whatever reason, they wanted to use him again, but obviously it wouldn't make sense for him to be in the group, so they pretty much just created a Silver Age version, a legacy character, if you will. Yeah, yeah, that's a that that's the type of corporate synergy that, that made Marvel a massive movie studio <laughs> in this day and age. You know, you just recycle what you can and <laughs> make it something new for the kids. And then the thing who Jack Kirby had and Stan were drawing monster comics before the, the Marvel Age started, so it wasn't that much of a stretch to just do a monster as a superhero. He was a very complex character in the same way Spider-Man was, and that he's just incredibly likable a character, but he's also tortured. So you have these big arcs where he's just 
mired in loneliness and depression because of his condition. He has paranoia about his position in life. He has a lot of frustrations with Reed and suspicions with Reed that they kind of play out in this episode we covered. I love Ben Grimm, the thing. He's, he's one of my top five favorite Marvel superheroes of all time. Love that character. Yeah, he's great. Um, isn't he played by Michael Chiklis in those two live action? That is correct. Oh man, what a great casting choice for him. I don't, I don't care for those movies too much, but he was good. I really think the cast is pretty good. I wish they had better movies to mess around in. So we're going to talk some Fantastic Four animation now. Originally, we were going to talk the '90s cartoon, but uh, why don't you tell the people out there? Why we didn't end up doing that? Because it sucks. <laughs> it's so hard to watch. Because it has like so many competing tones. Because it really talks down to children while also acting like it's better than its competition. Um, there was one I watched where it started out Johnny and the Thing are watching TV, and there's like a parody of like a dumb kid show, and then it just kind of makes fun of the news, and like Johnny's making a little torts, and then. Dr. Doom shows up and it's it's just this whole weirdly animated sequence where there's too much explanation and people are taking too much time to do stuff. I it was just driving me insane. I couldn't keep watching that thing anymore. <laughs> but you gotta admit it's one of the greatest cartoon theme songs of all time. <laughs> that that is something that you can say about it, I suppose. I I don't know if I have to admit it. <laughs> So we instead are talking a cartoon I barely even know existed. And ironically, this is the fourth Fantastic Four cartoon. We're going to talk Fantastic Four, World's Greatest Heroes. Yeah, I didn't know much about this show at all when I picked it out. This It actually really surprised me. It's very stable and has a lot of good qualities to it. What's well, very weird because it's a combo of... Those live-action movies were coming out, so they wanted to produce something. But at the same time, they went for a completely different style than any of the previous cartoons and even different style than the comic book. So it's a very weird, and it's a sporadic cartoon looking into it as well. Yeah, um, it looks a lot like the Ultimate line like comic books they had around that time, the sort of Brian Michael Bendis anime influenced designs that were popping up in those things. And it's, it's even more, it's far more anime than any of that stuff. And it's kind of better for it being anime because they, they really have to focus on where they put their animation. You can definitely tell a few times where the budget is strained and they're just doing close-ups on faces to <laughs> save some time. But overall, it's it's got pretty decent animation and it's it's fairly faithful to the Fantastic Four canon. Well, we're going back to 2006. Uh, this um, was produced by uh, Moon Scoop Group and Marvel Entertainment. Yeah, they're not around anymore, Moon Scoop. <laughs> And um, originally aired on uh, Cartoon Network. But here's the weird thing looking into this. Apparently, like, eight episodes aired in 2006. They stopped airing. Then 2007, they came back with nine more episodes. Then the remaining episodes didn't air in America. Only 18 of the episodes actually were released in the United States. No one cared about this thing. <laughs> And then, like, two years later, uh, Nicktoons and Boomerang air ended up airing the final episodes that had already aired, I believe, in Europe. So, and the order is all messed up. Like, I found three different episodes lists that have the episodes listed different order of when they are. Like, so they have, like, episode one aired after episode three. It's just really strange looking into it. I'm not sure if my information is inaccurate or if... It's just wonky the way this thing was released. I think part of it is that um, Marvel was trying to wrangle all its various properties back in the lead up to Iron Man. That was 08, right? Yeah, 08 is when they released Iron Man. Yeah, so that's when they were trying to get the Marvel Universe together. So I bet the Fantastic Four of this cartoon specifically got 
jumbled about and a lot of different uh, ramifications from that. Like the uh, the uh, spectacular Spider-Man cartoon got short shrifted on the WB because of that. And there's a Avengers cartoon, Earth's Mightiest Heroes or something like that. And it's pretty good, but it got some short shrift and sort of became a Disney cartoon for about a season. And then it got canceled and replaced with a different Avengers cartoon. Um, So the final episodes didn't actually air in America until 2010. Wow. Even though there were only 26 episodes in total. God, people hated this show for some reason. Man, what what did the show do to deserve that? It must have been rights issues or something like that. I don't know if it was the anime type animation or the fact that they changed it a little bit because the uh, the costumes are different. They're not like the mo- or if maybe the movies weren't that well received, so people didn't have an interest in them. Maybe it's just a case of people didn't know where to find it because it aired so sporadically. I, I bet that's also part of it. I don't remember seeing one damn commercial for this thing. I was kind of watching Cartoon Network enough at that time. There wasn't any special promotion for this. Um, they did release every episode on, a, on DVD, but there's never been a Blu-ray release of this. Yeah, we're probably never getting a Blu-ray release of this. I bet Moonscoop, when it went out of business, it took all the masters, and now we just have those DVDs. Well, plus with the the, the seemingly attack on physical media now, I don't know if we'll, we'll ever get a Blu-ray. Yep, the burning. <laughs> now, um, Christopher Yost and Craig Kyle developed this show. I found a, um, I don't know if I'd call it an interview, but a couple of comments from Christopher Yost where he says that for some reason Galactus was off-limits. He couldn't remember why. <laughs> what the hell is the issue with Galactus? Like, they did a terrible job making a Galactus in the actual movie this cartoon was made to promote. And then they won't even, they can't even put Galactus in the cartoon. What What's going on with this thing? Yeah, he said he couldn't remember, but that's why they used Terminus instead, because they couldn't, uh, they couldn't use Galactus. Weird. <laughs> So, I mean, they decided to make some different... They wanted, unlike the previous Fantastic Four cartoons, none of their stories were actually based on the comic books. Obviously, it's the same characters, same, a lot of the same villains, but they, they really wanted to do their own thing a lot more. So a lot of the stories are original ideas. They did the anime style, the different costumes. They're more white and less blue. Thing has the four spray painted on his chest for some strange reason. Yeah, I don't understand that exactly, and that caused a lot of confusion. I actually um, watched a few of these with my dad to kill some time with him, and we were both just like, "Why is he? Ha- when did he paint that on his chest?" <laughs> At one point, supposedly they wanted to give Sue Storm uh, bubblegum pink hair, but uh. Marvel stepped in that that was a bridge too far. They Marvel said no. <laughs> you know what I think this show is an antecedent to? The uh, Teen Titans anime style series that came out. Yeah, I could, I could see that. I mean, they both uh, really like those blind backdrops where people are doing big actions, but they don't want to show a lot of <laughs> layout. So we decided... We're going back to September 16th, 2006. We're going with the episode Doomsday. Now, this is odd because I watched it on Disney+. Plus and it says it's episode 3, but I found other listings that said it was the first episode aired. So I'm really not sure if this is episode 1 or if this is episode 3 or not. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess it's episode three. I guess we got to go buy, you know, a, a DVD order. I just don't know. <laughs> but, uh, everything I found was consistent. Said it originally aired September 16th, 2006. Oh, okay. So it's written by uh, Christopher Yost, uh, directed by Franck Michel or Michael. I think it's Michel, but, you know, it's one of those kooky French names. Uh, we're going to go through over some... Uh, a little bit of voice acting credit. Obviously, all these characters were created by Stan Lee and uh, Jack Kirby. Mr. Fantastic. Now, he is voiced by, uh, in Japanese, so everyone's going to have to forgive me, Hiro Kanagawa. 
um, I think is the name. Done a lot of character acting and, uh, and voice acting. Now, these are all things he's voice acted in, and I've never heard of one of these. Maybe I'm just an old man, but... Intriguing, okay. I'm going to be Future Boy Conan. Whoa! What, are you f***ing kidding me? What? <laughs> what? Oh, shit. Okay, I heard about this on a, on a What a Cartoon. Um, <laughs> Jones 40 is a giant Rebecca Sugar, the creators of OKKO, OK Steven Universe. They're big fans of this show. This is a Hayao Miyazaki-created series, and it's based off a dystopian novel. And it's all about like a post-nuclear um, fallout world where this boy named Conan and all these other people on this island are trying to kind of build up society. Holy shit, that rules. I didn't know that. All right, so you, you knew that, so you probably know these other ones. Black Lagoon? Whoa, man. Okay, go ahead. Give me another one. Give me another one. Mobile Suit Gundam. Wow. Man, this guy, uh, he's got some credits. Jeez. Team, Team Zenko Go. I, I don't even know what that is. Uh, okay. You know all these. I uh, Maybe I'm just an old man, but I have, I've never heard of any of these. These are, uh, these are anime, like, classics. Like, these are some of the top of the anime heap, my friend. Like Future Boy Conan, that's a like influential show in <laughs> Japanese animation history. Mobile Suit Gundam, that's that's one of the biggest franchises ever. I'll have to do a episode on Future Boy Conan sometime. Oh man, yeah, you do. But he's also done a lot of live action. Uh, he was Principal Kwan on Smallville. Really? <laughs> okay. Lieutenant Suzuki on iZombie. Never saw that show. Interesting. He- even more recently on uh, the uh, the new Percy Jackson show, he's uh, the Headmaster and Cronus. I don't know if they're two different people or if it's Headmaster Cronus, but he's on the show. I wish I had this guy's agent. I mean, he never stopped working. <laughs> By the way, everybody on this show, every voice we're going to go over, they all guest starred on Smallville, Supernatural, and Battlestar Galactica. It's the weirdest thing. I don't know if they all had the same agent or what. That was the pipeline then. The agencies were all incestuous, you know, and they were all loaning the same people out to each other. Invisible Woman, Sue Storm, uh, Laura Gilchrist as the voice. The only voice acting I could find, she did some voice acting on The Little Prince and Class of the Titans. Oh, huh. But she was also on Smallville, and she played Paula Schaefer on Battlestar Galactica. Are you a Battlestar Galactica fan? When I was a kid, I liked some of the original stuff, but I never ended up watching when they brought it back. I never saw the reboot. I would occasionally watch like the original on TV land growing up, and that was only because I wanted to watch the spaceships. They had really good designs. Yeah, we had some of the toys. We had when we were young. We had, we had the Cylon, and we had that that robot dog or whatever the heck it was. But... Oh, interesting. Now, uh, Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, he's uh, voiced by Christopher Jacot, or Jashow, I don't know, J-A-C-O-T. Hmm. Um, he's on a lot of, uh, most of his voice acting has been English dubs of anime. Uh, Bay Wheels, does that ring a bell with you? Oh, could you say that again, friend? Bay Wheels? I, yeah, I don't know what that is. I, I think don't know, but he- he also did Beyblade, Bay Shogun Steel, and Beyblade Metal Fusion, so I assumed it was some sort of... Okay, yeah. I bet that's a Beyblade spinoff of some sort. <laughs> and uh, But he did some live-action acting. Uh, he Larry Haberman on the TV show Eureka. Oh, man, that was a cool show. All right. And finally, Ben Grimm himself the thing. Brian Dobson did his voice. He voiced uh, Skeletor in the uh, 2002 He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Hey, big uh, ups there. He voiced Luthor, and apparently there was a Crypto the Superdog cartoon? Yeah, I think I had like two seasons on Cartoon Network. I never saw it. I never did either, but he was on that. That was, a, that was like a kiddie cartoon past my real kiddie cartoon phase. So definitely aimed at a, at a younger audience. Yeah, probably, you know, the five to seven-year-old audience. 
And he also has done a ton of uh, English dub of uh, animation. I find if you've uh, a lot of times the Canadian, I don't know if Canada has a has a deal with Japan, but a lot of times if you find Canadian voice actors, they've done a lot of dubbing of uh, of anime. Anime companies that bring over like uh, material to dub, they love Canada because it's a non-union place to go and get some dubbing done. <laughs> ah, that would make sense. Yeah, that's the whole scam there. But hey, I, I do not want to talk down to the great Canadian voice artists of our time, the people that helped bring us Robotech and other classic American <laughs> short anime. So uh, on that note, myself and Rob, we're going to take our break, and we're going to watch Fantastic Four, World's Greatest Heroes, Doomsday. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back. You may know their names, but you've never seen them like this. Johnny Storm, the Human Torch. Ben Grimm, the Thing. Susan Storm, the Invisible Woman. Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic. Mutated from their human forms, they now battle the forces of evil as the Fantastic Four, starting Saturday at 8. It's four-part harmony. Only Tsunami on Cartoon Network. Future Boy Conan is a post-apocalyptic sci-fi anime, and is an adaptation of Alexander Key's novel, The Incredible Tide. The show follows our main character Conan and a girl named Lana, who sets out on an adventure, and we get to see what has happened to the world, as well as different conflicts between the few surviving people left in this world. It's honestly a really interesting story, but it avoids getting too heavy. It maintains a certain level of goofiness that some people might find a little off-putting, but I like it since our main characters are a bunch of goofy and innocent children. Future Boy Conan might not have been very popular when it came out, but I definitely think it's one of the must-watch anime from the 70s. The summer's hottest movie... ...is this year's hottest game. Game Informer Rays, Fantastic Four has awesome powers. Insane co-op gameplay. And GamePro calls it the ultimate adventure. Fantastic Four the game. Rated T for teen. Meanwhile, behind the facade of this innocent-looking podcast... Just watched Fantastic Four World's Greatest Heroes Doomsday. Now it's not quite the 90s Fantastic Four theme song, but opening credits has some uh, interesting music. Kind of remind me of the uh, the Batman cartoon, their theme song almost. Uh, yeah, yeah kind of. Um, it, it kind of also made me think of the 90s Spider Man theme song. Though I think I like this better because it does not have weird um, uh, auto-tuned vocals on it. <laughs> We're going to get the premise of this, but uh, of this episode of Doomsday, but it's uh, this idea has been done before, but it, it's very reminiscent of uh, Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol run back when uh, he did the whole bit where it revealed the chief had actually caused the accidents of the Doom Patrol that got their superpowers. It's kind of the premise of this episode of the Fantastic Four. But, well, Reed's blame for it, we'll say that. Yeah, yeah. And it kind of speeds along at a weird pace because of how they frame it all. But it's entertaining one way or the other. Now, I haven't read every Fantastic Four cartoon, but I can't believe no writer has ever attempted to hint at Reed did it on purpose or anything like that. Sometimes I think people want to assume the best of Reed as a character, and I say you shouldn't because he's obviously insane. Like, <laughs> do you notice though in the uh, in the intro they they show their the, them exposed to cosmic rays? They're actually wearing the the spacesuits, which uh, people tend to forget about that they wore them a lot of the times. But you know they look more like traditional astronaut suits. 
I really like the intro because they just get through all the origin story stuff and have these really good still images that show a picture. It's it's a really well done intro, actually. I, yeah, I like it quite a bit. So the whole intro is uh, things fighting a giant like bug alien. Um, he says he isn't in the mood. And uh, Johnny says that's what he always says when a rampaging monster that's better looking than him attacks. <laughs> I, I, uh, I like the patois between Johnny and Ben in this. I, I think they have pretty good chemistry overall. I will say uh, there's a lot of bickering in the scene, but they do a good job of uh, the old uh, the old school human torch in the thing where they love each other, but they are always... Uh, <laughs> at all, especially Johnny just being a wise ass. There are a few moments where Johnny is just obnoxious throughout the show, but he's not any worse than any other portrayal I've seen of Johnny, so I can't be too hard on the character writing there. I mean, this this character is partially made to be obnoxious. When Reed and Sue come to break things up, she actually says his full name, and Maybe I knew this and forgot, but she says Jonathan Spencer Storm. So I didn't know Spencer was his middle name. I uh, I didn't know, and that kind of escaped me. I didn't realize that even happened. <laughs> so that's, that's news to me. I mean, frankly, I don't give a shit what any superhero's <laughs> middle name is. Like That does nothing for me on a character level. I'm never going to think, huh, he's a completely different person now that I know he's Jonathan Spencer Storm. That really brought a new angle to his power level <laughs> The whole thing came about with, uh, apparently, Reed had this, gl- this, this. it's like a metal glove that uh, they accidentally opened the negative zone, and that's why uh, these aliens are running around. They're from the negative zone. Yeah, and there's a great bit where one of the aliens gets out, and it like goes down to their stuffy neighbor's uh, apartment and just licks all over her window all disgustingly. <laughs> and I- I love that so much. I love the like satirical farce type stuff that the FF gets into occasionally with them having their neighbors react to all this nonsense going on in their nice apartment building that they just happen to share with the Fantastic Four. The good old uh, Baxter building, which I, I never knew there was apartments in there, but uh, I guess uh, I learned something new every day. I think it's a genuine like apartment building on top of other like things it does. I I didn't look into it too hard. Don't quote me on that, everybody. This would be one of the weirdest scenes I thought. Where Reed to send it back to the negative zone, he has this weird like electricity whip that he uses to open the negative zone, which it just seemed out of left field to me. Hey, I don't care what anyone says. That was awesome. I, <laughs> that is the type of stuff that is an advantage when you're doing the anime style. You can have all these crazy weapons. And since he's Reed Richards, you just take it at face value. Like, yes, he's an insane scientist who deals with all kinds of otherworldly concepts. Of course, he has an electricity whip to wrangle in aliens from the negative zone. They get swarmed with reporters, but uh, little they know, the reporters are going to tell them that it's been all over the news that Reed's journal has been released to the public, that he deliberately exposed them to cause a grace to create the Fantastic Four. I think this is um, from a time when things weren't quite as hyper-connected as they are now. They probably produced this from about 2006, 2007, I would bet. So it's easy to imagine that the Fantastic Four would miss the news that something like this had happened because they don't all have like smartphones. Yeah, it would make sense that they uh, they might first hear from it from a news reporter. Like, uh, it's not like they would have had smartphones or social media like automatically giving them a heads up they're busy people <laughs> well do, do you think somebody's gonna like i am them or something <laughs> so um 
they have a little meeting where Reed explains that he did write a paper in his journal about cosmic rays, and he even did a a paper on what effect they would have on biological humans, which got to me the funniest thing of the whole episode is when he's reading this and Johnny yells, "Nerd alert!" <laughs> I. <laughs> I kind of laughed at it beside myself because I was like, I mean, that's a corny line, but also the fact that Johnny can't take seriously the situation and has to say it is funny in and of itself. Um, they get into a big fight about it, and uh, they all, Johnny and Ben, storm off. Johnny puts on a sweet jacket, I got to say, in this. Oh, uh, man, Johnny <laughs> was looking so good in that jacket. That was one of the best parts of the episode. I just tweeted a couple days ago about how any superhero automatically becomes cooler with a with a cool jacket on. <laughs> so you can imagine how excited I was when uh, Johnny pulled out a sweet red Fantastic Four jacket. I think this show has pretty good designs. This is uh, from a team that did a show called Code Lyoko, which I am just not a fan of, but it was not a badly designed show. And I kind of like them having more down to earth designs. Like, I don't know if you know what Code Lyoko is, but every character in that show just has a big giant head. Just like, just a bit, like the biggest head you can imagine any kid could ever had let me tell you and it just drives me insane to watch it but this is a such a well-designed show it's it's really pleasing to the eye so sue goes to calm johnny down she talks about how the media has uh lied about him before so we got kind of a a fake news storyline ahead of its time so the thing goes and uh alicia masters shows up much like the movies, they went with a black character design for Alicia Masters. Which, again, is weird because they're not much like the movies. So I'm not sure why they borrowed that creative choice from the film, but hardly anything else from the films, even though these do coincide with the films. It's really some odd choices overall. I would imagine they had to make some concessions if they're trying to, you know, put this out with the films. Because I, why else would they make this cartoon other than to kind of pump the film on some level? Well, that's why they said that after they aired like the first eight, that they brought back the other nine because the yeah. the second movie was in the was uh, coming out. I think. So. Yeah, this this thing is crazy. I don't understand the production of it at all. Meanwhile, Reed is examining the journal, um, and he finds out it's been altered. Um, he's plugged it into the computer, and there's been digital altering to his journal. But he realizes it's too late. It's a trap. Dr. Doom was behind the whole thing. He faked the thing to make Reed look bad, and he used it. To, he knew Reed would plug it into the computer, and his evil virus would come and take it over. Um. Okay. Let's dissect this for just a moment. <laughs> Reed is a super scientist. Reed Richards is one of the like prominent super scientists in all of pop culture. He is maybe the definition of the super scientist and what we think of as a super scientist in pop culture. So, for him to just, like, willy-nilly be okay with this whole thing, like, just plugging that in, knowing what it could do to f*** up <laughs> all this junk, and knowing that there might be a possibility of it, it just, it feels like some real kids' children's programming, like, choices, like, in, in setting this up this way and having Doom take over everything. It's entertaining in the way it's staged, but this felt like the most child-oriented element of the entire thing, of the entire presentation, in uh, my opinion. There's been a lot of examples in other mediums where people that are super geniuses are only super geniuses until the script needs them to be a goddamn moron. <laughs> and oh, then... <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, man, the dip here was crazy insane to me when I was watching it, and I was kind of, I kind of just had to wipe it off and be like, well, they used to do crap like this in the 90s Spider-Man, this isn't any worse than that. Well, it's like in the Snyder movies where sometimes Batman is a goddamn moron when the script needs <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, that just, 
I, I guess it's the struggles of having a super genius character. Hey, everybody has a blind spot every now and then, you know? So the FF got trapped in very specific cells for their particular set of skills so they can't get out. That ruled. That all looked really good, and, like, it felt believable that they all, like, couldn't get out, and they had actual barriers. <laughs> it was cool. So Doom gets Reed's glove, that now yeah, that glove with the negative zone, says, of course, Dr. Doom, and he had discovered the negative zone years ago. He just kept it to himself, I guess, and, and didn't discover how to open it. But he already knew about it. He's smarter than Reed. He was just busy doing other stuff. You know how it is running an entire country you've enslaved. And um, this is kind of weird because Reed says to him, he says, because he opens the negative zone, he says, you open that negative zone, not only is I going to get sucked in this building, but half of New York and thousands will die. And Doom's okay with that because it's going to get blamed on Reed. So he hates Reed so much that he's willing to murder <laughs> thousands of people just so Reed Richards will look bad. Hey, it's very on par for this character. I love it. Good. That is Dr. Doom. Yes. <laughs> I say yes. Let him kill half of New York if he can kill Reed Richards in the process. I mean, when you say it out loud, it's just... <laughs> it's not world domination. It's not power. It's not money. He just is willing to do this just because he hates this guy and he wants to make him look bad. And, uh, you know, that feeds into the anime flavorings of this. This is a classic, like, anime love story shrouded in rivalry. When the FF had broken out and show up, they had said the line, which I liked, about how these were designed specifically for your powers. And, and Ben Grimm says, uh, last time I checked, ugly isn't a superpower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. And how they figured out how to get out where, like, Sue remembered that Johnny could set things on fire from afar. And then he just, like, burned his way out from the outside. Yeah, that was really cool. That made a lot of sense. It worked well. Yeah, he had pulled a prank of heating up Ben's soda. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, that was it. And uh, he, he used that same theory to uh, to burn enough of a hole in uh, his cell that thing could escape. On the subject of Johnny Stone, I asked this about on previous guests and episodes. Do you think he can become the Human Torch if he doesn't say Flame On? Um, you know, I, I don't want to live in a world where he can become the human torch without saying flame on, so I'm just going to say no. It's like, you know, can the Rangers become the Rangers without saying Morphin Time? And can uh, He-Man not say by the power of Grayskull and still become He-Man? Oh, no, He-Man can't. That is, that is damn sure. That's that's written in into his contract, basically. <laughs> and they have to say Morphin Time. I don't know. I, I, I think so. I, it's been a long time since I've seen Power Rangers. That that is a property that has not uh, kept up for me. I think maybe if I went back and watched the actual uh, Japanese Super Sentai stuff, that I might be more into that. Well, that's it's a question for the ages. One that's always it's always bugged me. <laughs> Well, that's our catchphrase. Like, this is children's television we're talking about here. People need to say their catchphrases. But the FF show up, Reed says, that's the one difference between him and Doom. He's not alone, and there's a big fight with Dr. Doom, which I, I did love at one point he calls Ben Grimm a oafish gargoyle. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, Ben really just goes all in on him at, at, at some point and just like full on straightforward attacks him, and that rules. Like, the, the show has good animation where it counts for sure. They defeated him kind of easily, um, I thought, but a little bit, but he is just a dude with a shiny mask, so so they have to, uh, manually, they have to go out and fight the villains and use the magic glove to get them all back in the negative zone. Reed just can't turn it off. It's gone too far. So they got to go fight the aliens and manually do it, which, of course, they do and save the day. I mean, it wouldn't be the, the Fantastic Four if they didn't. I can point out a uh, like very cheap animation thing they did. There's a point where Reed is falling from the sky, and they 
zoom in on his face as he's falling so all you see is like lines going past his head and <laughs> and then the next thing is him closing his eyes and Ben has grabbed him from the air somehow. Like they didn't show Ben doing anything. It was just like this cut, and you had very limited animation behind a still frame of Reed talking. <laughs> and, um, you know, the reporters show up, you know, after they've saved the day, and um, they explain the whole thing was altered, which Sue Storm says they never doubted Reed at all. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's this horrible Johnny, there's this horrible impression Johnny does of Dr. Doom that takes up way too much time in the episode. Like, they could have cut at least half of that thing down. Yeah, because it was preceded because Reed says that uh, they can't do anything because, of course, Doom has diplomatic immunity. Yeah. Yeah, and he does the deep voice of, I am Doom, and I am brilliance unparalleled. But I always lose. That was a, that was my other low point. It's like, come on, this, we've had better humor throughout this episode. Let's not do this. It does bring up the good point of uh, you do wonder in these how many times these villains can get beaten before they've given up. Why would the government give a crap? Like, why would they give a crap? You know, the the government knows what a ridiculous, despotic country this is. Like, is is the president, like, in the pocket of of Latveria or something? Like, why would anyone give a crap about them just taking doom in? Well, you know, it's like... uh... They, they don't have a choice. Their hands are tied. He's got diplomatic immunity. Yeah, their hands are tied. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll just take him out of the water there. Their hands are tied. You know, it's like in Lethal Weapon 2, you know, the guy from South Africa. You know, he's got, even though they've shot and murdered a bunch of people and shot Mel Gibson, it's like diplomatic immunity. I mean, I guess with what I've been seeing in the news lately about a certain country, it shouldn't surprise me that no one's willing to get up and actually do a f***ing thing about anything. And then in the end, we go to Latveria, and it's just Doom, like, losing his crap because he's <laughs> mad about what happened, and he's, like, blasting walls. And, <laughs> and that's how you ended. Fantastic Four, World's Greatest Heroes, Doomsday. Well... Let's talk. Uh, we covered it a little bit, but uh, before we get to an official review, animation. What do you think? Does it does it work for the FF? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's pretty good. I I think it is like somewhat limited in the ways a lot of digital productions were at that time. But I also think the character models have a lot of detail in them, and all the backgrounds and accessories look really good. They have decent, you know, uh, battle scenes, and they even have physics, like when um, there's a moment where Sue is falling, and when she falls, her hair actually blows up with the, like, way she's falling, and floats through the sky and it actually makes sense uh, and it it was really gratifying it was a really satisfying moment yeah I, I think it has pretty decent animation overall what do you think of the uh the costume designs it's different we've never seen this particular thing in the uh, comic book that, that i'm aware of anyway uh yeah i i think this costume design is definitely a little more anime it feels more like Bubblegum Crisis than a traditional Fantastic Four costume, but at the same time, I don't think it's offensive. And I, I, I think they look sharp. I, I don't have any problem with it. I am. Um, I like the voice of Johnny Thing and Sue Storm. I thought was particularly good on this. Reed's okay, but I think the other three are actually really good. Uh, okay, I, I really do think Reed is kind of the outlier in this cast, and I don't. I don't want to put it on the actor. I feel like we should be putting this on the director because I feel like this Reed, he doesn't, he has less backbone than Reed should have because he sounds whiny throughout the whole series that I've seen. He just has this voice that doesn't have any confidence at all. And it's so frustrating. (laughs) Um, my ideal Reed Richards is actually Stephen Colbert and the way he does that parody of Reed Richards in the Venture Brothers. 
I've never actually seen that. So. Oh, my God. You're missing out. Oh, man. You got to watch Adventure Brothers. Rocky first season, but after that, it really gets going. I would like to say the Doctor Doom is really good, too. I don't know who the actor is, but he knows exactly who Doctor Doom is as a character. And what did you do? What did you take? They, they, uh, when she debuted, Sue was always seemed a lot younger. But they, this one seems like she's closer to Reed's age than the original age gap of, of Reed and Sue Storm. Yes, thank God. All right, on that note, we're going to get into our official ranking system. We're going to get into the spectrometer. show this is where we rank we watched zero spectros is garbage four spectros is just perfection doesn't get any better chef's kiss if you will robbie what are you going to give fantasy for world's greatest heroes doomsday i'm going to give it a three because i i think it does try to be a little better than some of the uh, lesser uh, comic book adaptations i've seen in animation I think it does take some narrative shortcuts that feel a little insulting if you're an older viewer, and it has some humor that's maybe a little cheap, but isn't offensive necessarily. It has good design work and it's animation, and it, it you know it, it gives you the right amount of animation where it needs to give it. And it's just entertaining overall. I, I'm I'm pretty happy with it as a Fantastic Four adaptation, even with the liberties taken on its style. I'm going to go two and three quarters. It's pretty good. I didn't hate it. The only thing I didn't like was I, I felt like the idea of Reed might have been responsible doesn't get explored that much. It seems to be just the setup, and then it's kind of quick and over you know like we jumped to this other thing it was all dr doom it was just a trap boom done <laughs> over with but it was you know it's a cartoon so i guess what can you expect but overall it was it was entertaining enough i'm not huge on the animation it's okay so i'll, I'll go two and three quarters the plotting is odd like the because it just it seems to kind of jump real quick in the middle to getting to dr doom in a way that just doesn't doesn't compute if you're an older. <laughs> yeah, plus, like, there's only, like, a, a minute or two of them mistrusting Reed, and then it seems to be like we've moved on to this is an earth-shattering thing we have to team up and stop. So Yeah, I wanted more of them not trusting Reed. I wanted to, like, watch the thing go off and, like, blow off some steam or something. Something more to do with that that was interesting. But what did you think out there? Uh, did you like it more, me, me and Rob? Did you like it less? That's okay if you did. We're just two guys talking. I uh, always like to hear your opinion. So you can go to social media and let me know. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Spectro. Follow me while you're there. Facebook, Matt Spectro from the Multiverse. Give me a follow. And uh, let me know what you thought of Fantastic Four, World's Greatest Heroes. Robbie, uh, thanks for coming back. I always appreciate having you on the show. It was a pleasure. I really appreciate being invited back. I tried to behave myself as best as possible, Fred. <laughs> well, a couple of F-bombs in there, but other than that, uh, you, <laughs> I can't complain. Um, this is the part of the show where I hand it over to my guests uh, for the free plug segment. So if you have anything to plug, Robbie, the floor is yours. Now's the time. Yeah, hey, thank you so much. I'm the host of Conversations with Robbie Sherman. Got a few episodes I'm going to be catching up on, putting out in the next few weeks, and then we're going to be hoping to go into season three after that. I have a new co-executive producer, Jeff Shu. He's the owner of the Whirlwind Agency in Bloomington, Indiana, excellent musician, and I'm glad to have him on as part of the show, helping me out with episodes. Well, I hope you will uh, come on again. Uh, we're going to see what uh, the future holds for my podcast, but uh, no matter what, we're going to have you on at least one more time. Yeah, I'd, I'd really like to have you. I'd really like to have you on my podcast sometime too, if you can uh, make the time. I would love it. What would we talk about? Maybe we could talk about that uh, 67 Fantastic Four cartoon. <laughs> sure. 
I love that cartoon. That one's another one that's hard to find. Uh, it's um, like it's because it's, I'm going to go on a tangent here, which I do. Disney owns the rights to the Fantastic Four, but Hannibal Warner Brothers owns the rights to the Hannibal Barbera Library. So it's difficult to find that cartoon. <laughs> okay, Not, weird. It's yeah. It's you can find a couple of the episodes on YouTube, but you can't find them all. Um, and I'm not sure if that was released on. I think they released some of it, but I don't know if they released the whole series. That's something we'll have to look into. But I love that cartoon, so I would definitely love to to talk about that one. I want to thank everyone for joining us this week. Uh, if you could uh, subscribe to my podcast, I appreciate it. Give me a five star rating, share and like it. I really appreciate it. Like I said, you can find me on social media. And uh, I have a guest on every episode. So if you're a uh, comic fan, animation fan, you have a podcast or whatever the case may be, and you'd like to be on the show, please hit me up on one of my uh, social medias. I always love having new guests. I don't care if you have 10 followers or 10,000. I just like to sit and have some fun conversations with people about comics and animation and all that's going on in the world. We all need to take five and just have some fun talking about stuff that you know doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of life. And that's going to about do it this week again, Robbie. Uh, thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. And thanks to all my listeners for joining us. And tune in again next week for another exciting episode of Matt Spectral. Through the Multiverse, everybody. Excelsior!